thankful for the university campus ministries, and there's none better in the state of Illinois than what's going on at ISU. So, um, Cody, we're just going to pick on you all day. If you have someone going to ISU, get them connected with Pete through Cody, and they will be blessed. Hey, it's good to be back, and you're probably wondering where I, why I'm wearing this funky vest and this crazy-looking tie. Um, I had the opportunity to spend 10 days in India, returned home Tuesday, and one of the things that the Indian Christians do, the Kuki Christian Church mission does, is they bless us with gifts of honor. And so I am wearing a kooky tie and a kooky vest, and uh, they told me that they usually only reserve the kooky vest for people like kings and such. So I know they're just trying to butter me up, but I love it, and I thought I would wear it and show it to you today. I do want to give an update on what um, I observed, and I need to let you know that on a Sunday in late April or early May, we're going to take the whole Sunday morning, and you're going to hear from me, and you're going to hear from some of my team members that were on the trip, and that's going to be both a Sunday morning worship and a Bible school hour thing, but I wanted to just give you five reflections from my trip, and I want to throw this in. I think I forgot to mention at first service. I'd love to talk with you individually. So hit me up and grab a cup of coffee. I'd love to talk with you in depth about my trip. Very thankful for Clint FCC making this trip possible. Five reflections. Number one, the church is alive and well in Northeast India. The day before we arrived, Manipur State, where um, the, the mission, the ministry is based in, had a brand new government kind of imposed on them. Um, it, it was not uh, the party that had the most votes or even the second most votes, but the Prime Minister Modi is a very powerful individual, and this new party, this new government was kind of imposed upon the people. And so the thought would be that the convention would suffer, the number of people coming um, would be down, and to our surprise, over 600 were there from all throughout Northeast India, from Nepal, from Bangladesh, which is a Muslim country, from Burma. It was just incredible to see people. Some of them rode a bus for four days and slept on the floor and able to be at this convention. So um, I was just reminded, and I appreciate so much what Pete had to say about the Philippines and Mexico and Germany and the other country that he mentioned that I have forgotten. Um, the kingdom is a big kingdom. It's not just 61727. And um, we can't ever lose sight of that. Number two, the needs are greater than ever. The ministries of the KCCM are touching so many lives through the hospital, the nursing school, the orphanage, the seminary, the Bible college. But because of that, the needs continue to increase. And so you'll hear more about that in five weeks. But um, I was just reminded that more than ever, the partnerships that uh, the American church and the families in America have with the Kooky Christian Church mission um, are as important as ever. Number three, there continues to be this absolute hunger for God's Word. Friday night, first night of convention, the first session began about 5.30. I was up to preach that night. Um, I did not get up to preach until 10 till 8. I could not believe it. Um, and yet the word that was given to me by Dr. Lynn Kim before I got to preach was don't cut anything. Give it to him. Give him the word. And uh, there's just this hunger to hear God's Word proclaimed. Um, and, and it's very different than what we have here in America. And, um, and I'm as guilty of, of that as anybody, but just that desire that the most important thing is God's Word. Give us God's Word. Don't cut out on God's Word. And if we're late to the restaurant, we're late to the restaurant. If we're late for, for the baseball game, we're late for that. I guess they play cricket there, but we're late for whatever's going on. Number four, 
Um, this is hard for me to share, but um, I, I need to make it be known. Persecution is on the rise in India. The day before I left, the New York Times published an article that Compassion International was pulling out of India after 48 years in India. And last year, just to give you an idea, 145,000 Indian children were sponsored by families just like you in India, most of these in rural areas, very remote areas. Uh, because of the prime minister and his government and their uh, desire to eradicate Christianity from India, um, Compassion was basically told, you can continue to feed people, you can continue to provide education for children, you can't talk about Jesus. We don't want to hear about Jesus. Too many Indian families are converting to Christianity. And so Compassion made the very difficult decision to withdraw from India. They'll be out of India by the end of uh, 2017. And that's a tragedy. Uh, there's no other way to say it. 145,000 Indian children, the very poorest of the poor, will no longer be given daily food and schooling and such. Um, where we were, the first visit that we made, the Friday we were in Imphal, we went up in the mountains and we visited a church. Um, it, it was not of the Kuki tribe, it was of the Maitai tribe. And what was interesting about this church is that their building was only about half complete. And so I asked the question, um, is it a new church? And they said, no, we've been here for a couple decades. And I said, why did you build a new church? Because the radical Hindus burnt down our old church building. In March of 2015, a group of Hindu leaders came to, to their village and said, um, no more Christianity in this village. And they said, well, you know, we've been here for a while. We're not going anywhere. They said, stop meeting or you will be no more. They said, we're here to stay. That night, their church was burnt to the ground. Um, the government did nothing to intercede. There was no punishment to the people that had that play out. In southern India, persecution of Christians is as intense as it's ever been. And so I share that with you, um, I guess to kind of make you sad, to encourage you to pray, but also to let you know how ridiculously crazy blessed we are here in America. I mean, most of us woke up today and our decision was, do I roll over and push snooze or do I get up and go to church? And um, in India, it, it's a different world in a lot of ways. And the Indian leaders I spent time with, they told me, we don't know what this means. We don't know where this goes. We don't know what the landscape's going to be like in a decade or in 20 years. One of the prime minister's key leaders was on record one year ago saying that his goal was to eradicate India of all Muslims and Christians by 2021. And so um, persecution is a real deal. Last thing, and then I'm done. I could go on all morning about this, but I will not. You'll need to come back on April 23rd. Um, you should feel really good about this monthly mission partnership. Clinton First Christian Church has been a partner with Dr. T. Lun Kim and the Kuki Christ Church Mission from the very beginning. I think it goes back to 1980. And I love all of our monthly mission partners, but you should feel really, really good that the $400 that is sent every month from our church to the Kuki Christian Church Mission in Northeast India is literally making a difference for the kingdom. It's literally changing the world. And again, thank you for allowing me to be gone. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of this mission trip, and I look forward to sharing more about it in the days ahead. Hey, I want to pray, and um, I've got a message for you this morning. So let's bow for prayer. God, thanks for today. 
Thank you for Pete Coco and Encounter and the difference that it makes at ISU. Thank you for Dr. T1 Kim and Alette and Chong Loy and all the people with the KCCM and the difference that it makes um, all throughout Southeast Asia, really, but especially in, uh, in Northeast India. And God, thank you for First Christian Church of Clinton. And may we never forget that um, it's not just a central Illinois thing that we're a part of. It's a, it's a worldwide brotherhood and sisterhood that, that we are a part of. Thank you for your church. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so jumping off this morning with um, core value sermon number nine, I want to read a scripture that you've probably heard before. I throw it out during offering time from time to time. It's from Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, his second letter. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. Here's what he says. He says, just as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, in complete earnestness and in your love for us, see to it that you also excel in the grace of giving. He's saying you need to excel in faith and in speech and in knowledge and in earnestness and in love, but I also want you to excel in the grace of giving. And so what's that look like? What's it look like for a family to excel in the grace of giving? What's it look like for an individual to excel in the grace of giving? What's it look like for a church to excel in the grace of giving? I've got two thoughts on that. Thought number one is this. I think we excel in the grace of giving when our giving is not tied to the needs or the lack of needs of the local church but instead is a testimony of your spiritual act of worship. And so that's a big fancy way of saying it doesn't matter how much the need is. It doesn't matter how little the need is. Giving is not tied to needs. Giving is tied to being your spiritual act of worship. And so I thought it would really be helpful to give you a real-life example, so I thought I'd talk about our church, the First Christian Church of Clinton, Illinois. In the last half of 2015, two events happened that I think directly impacted giving at First Christian Church. There was an internal crisis in August of that month, and then there was an unexpected, very large estate gift in December of that month. And as a result of that, in 2016, we experienced a very poor year of general fund giving. In fact, it was the poorest year in seven in terms of general fund giving in 2016. Now, am I drawing conclusions that shouldn't be drawn? Some might say that I am. I don't think that I am, however. I think that the reality is because of the internal crisis in August of 2015 and the incredible estate gift in December of 2015, for whatever reason, giving really ticked backwards. And, and so I look at that, and I've got to be honest with you, that's not a good thing. That's not a positive thing. That's not something that we should feel good about. In fact, I'm going to say it like this. This may be a little stronger than that. That's not acceptable in the eyes of the Lord. Now, you may be sitting there saying, but Greg, I gave like crazy in 2016. And maybe you did, and that's awesome. But when we allow giving to be tied to needs or lack of needs, we miss what stewardship is really all about. Have you ever heard someone utter words like, well, I don't like what's going there, so they're not getting another dollar of my money. 
Have you ever maybe thought that before? If that's the mindset that we have when it comes to stewardship, when it comes to to giving, we've missed the point of what giving is all about. Malachi chapter 3, it's rare that we go Old Testament um, minor prophets, but I want to give you Malachi chapter 3, and I don't have my Bible with me, so I'm going to have to do something very awkward and walk down here and grab a Bible so I can read this for you today. Malachi chapter 3, Malachi is the last word that was given to God's people for a 400-year period of time. Malachi shared his prophecy, and then there was a silent four centuries. And the very last chapter from Malachi talks about this. Malachi chapter 3, beginning with verse 6, says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Verse 8, will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. Three things. Verse 8, will a man rob God? That's a great question that Malachi writes down inspired from the Lord himself. How do you rob men? You rob God, and because of that, you are under a curse. Verse 9, and in verse 10, and here's the challenge in verse 10, bring the whole tithe and watch what I will do. And so giving, big idea, should not be tied to needs. Giving should not be tied to lack of needs. Giving should be tied to our spiritual act of worship to the Lord. And when we do that, we are excelling in the grace of giving. Number two, how do we excel in the grace of giving? We excel when our giving is truly a sacrifice. And I've got to be honest with you, it's hard for me to preach this because I'm not very good at this. I struggle with this. What what do I mean by that? Think about your giving. And you can think about a specific gift or you can think about your your big picture, broad brush giving. Ask these questions. Does it cost something? Does it hurt? Does it equal sacrifice? A a famous American preacher um, preached on this and one of his takeaways was this. Far too many Americans give, but it never hurts. It never costs us anything. We were, um, we were blessed on our trip in India to witness the first kind of graduating class of the Nyack Nursing School. Forty first-year nursing students, they had their candle lighting ceremony and their capping ceremony. And if you're on Facebook, I, I shared a, a couple of videos from that. It was really moving to me, but what was probably most moving, and I didn't know this until I got to India, is that one of the people that was traveling with me, um, Karen from, from Lincoln, shared with me that one of the 40 girls was an orphan that could not afford the $1,500 a year tuition to go to the nursing school. And she said, so my husband Rick and I stepped up 
and we agreed that we would fund her tuition so she could go to nursing school. I mean, the tears are just streaming as this beautiful young 19-year-old girl's getting her cap and lighting the candle. And my friend Mike Malik uh, leaned over to me and he said, you know, if I got rid of DirecTV, just that little simple thing right there, got rid of DirecTV, I could fund one nursing student for next year. That's how much my bill is, $1,500 a year. And I was reminded, and maybe you will be convicted, that too often our giving doesn't really equal sacrifice. Our giving doesn't really hurt. Jesus um, shared an encounter one time. Luke records it for us in Luke chapter 21. Luke writes these words, he says, as he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury, and he also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said. This poor widow has put more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. And so Jesus' takeaway is, kind of in my face, maybe it's in your face. He said all the others, they're given out of their excess. They're given out of the leftovers. But this widow is giving out of her poverty. And so here we are today, generosity. We'll put all the core values up on the screen right now. This is where we've been. I think we started way back in January looking at word and worship and on and on the list goes. And today we're at generosity. And generosity can mean a lot of different things. So let me try to define for you what we mean by generosity. Generosity, we want to be as generous as God is to us. We want to be as generous in our lives. We want to be as generous in our giving as God is to us. So the bar's being set really high because God set the standard when it comes to generosity. Another way of saying that in Greg Taylor's speak might be this. We want to excel in the grace of giving. We want to excel in the grace of giving. If you flip over one more chapter, we were in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, you get to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I think it's probably the most famous giving passage, stewardship passage in the whole New Testament. Here's what Paul says beginning in verse 6. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man, each woman, each teenager, each child should give what they've decided in their heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And if you're a memorizer, if you're someone that likes to memorize God's word, there's a lot of gold in here. Um, in these three verses of Scripture as it pertains to stewardship. So, how can we excel in the grace of giving? How can we make sure that this isn't just some sort of academic exercise and, man, Greg made me feel bad and I felt like my toes were getting stepped on or my knuckles were getting wrapped and, and then we just go to lunch and it's no big deal. How, how do we really try to excel when it comes to the grace of giving? Well, this passage of Scripture, these three verses, give us three challenges and a promise. And challenge number one is this. We excel in the grace of giving when we make the commitment to be generous. Paul says, you sow sparingly, 
you're going to reap sparingly. You sow generously, you're going to reap generously. And yet for far too many Americans, generous does not describe any part of their life. And so I have a challenge for you. Whoever you are, if you're a millionaire or if you're on food stamps, I have a challenge for you. You can do it today. You can do it tomorrow. You don't have to do it. I mean, I can't make you do it. But I would challenge you to do it today or tomorrow. Do something that could without a doubt be described as generous to be a blessing to somebody else. You may say, Greg, I need a little more clarification than that. You're not getting it. I'm not giving you any more clarification. Be generous over the next 36 hours in some way, shape, or form. Take time, step outside your comfort zone, step outside your routine, and say today at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, tomorrow at 8 o'clock in the morning, tomorrow at 9 o'clock at night, I'm going to do a generous thing. Now, don't go to Facebook and say, hey, I just did something really generous right now. Don't go down that road, but make a concerted effort to say, God, I heard this sermon in church today. I was challenged to be generous. What might I do? Make a concerted effort to be generous. And as you're doing that, remember the promise of verse 6. Sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. You sow generously, you reap generously. Number two, how do we excel in the grace of giving? We excel when our giving is from the heart. Too many times my giving is from my head. I give logically. Have you ever been to a restaurant and, man, your waiter or your waitress, they were just like over-the-top awesome. They were just like crazy good. I mean, most of us, maybe that hasn't happened very often. But let's just say we go there, and it's just absolutely awesome, and you get the bill, and what do you do? You just kind of probably tip them, maybe a little bit more. Maybe if they're due like a $4 tip, you give them like $5 tip or something like that. What would happen if you were just so blown away you wanted to really honor them in a crazy kind of way and gave them like a $50 tip on like a $20 bill? What would happen? Well, your spouse might be really angry with you, right? And be like, what are you doing? But that would just be crazy. Because why would we give that much money? We could get away with giving a five, maybe a 10. You're giving a 50? Are you kidding me? It's just beyond our mindset whatsoever. And yet when it comes to giving to God, when it comes to giving to the church, shouldn't that be the mindset that we had? When I lived in Mawequa and served at the Christian church in Mawequa, they had went through a capital campaign three years earlier. One of my elders and his wife did a really crazy thing. At least I thought it was really crazy. They had like one of the nicest houses in Mawequa. And it was a sweet, sweet house. I, I knew the people that bought it, and I had an opportunity to be in the house. And they sold that house, and they bought a house that cost $55,000 less than that house. And it was a good house. I mean, it, it wasn't, you know, awful by any stretch of the imagination, but it wasn't really like the house that they used to live in. And they took all of that difference, that $55,000, and they gave it to the church for their building program. And when different people would tell me that story, it, it was kind of funny. Um, my friend, the funeral home director, he just kind of shaking his head like, why would anybody do something like that? 
But some of the people in the church said, man, that just, that inspired us. That our giving really isn't necessarily from the heart. I can't tell you what giving from the heart looks like for you. I can just tell you that the Apostle Paul says we're all called, if we're followers of Jesus, to give from the heart. Number three, and this is really going to be the cherry on the Sunday for some of you. Not only are you supposed to be generous, not only are you supposed to do it from the heart, but you're supposed to have a big old smile on your face and a big old smile in your heart. God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. You're saying, Greg, you're killing me today. How can I be cheerful? It's because we're looking at things through worldly lenses. We're not looking at things through kingdom lenses. Um, And I think sometimes when we get out of our comfort zone, when we get out of the day-to-day routine, you know the best thing that happened to me when I was in India is that I couldn't get on the internet and I couldn't text anybody and I couldn't call anybody. That was the best thing that happened to me. I had to spend time reading the Bible. I had to spend time talking to people. And, and let's all welcome our junior church kids. Come on in. Good morning. God bless you all. Thank you for being with us today. Start, no, it's okay. It's great. It's the best part. They get like the last five minutes of the sermon. You know, people are dreaming of having that opportunity happen with them. Um, be cheerful in your giving. God loves a cheerful giver. So, If we're going to excel in the grace of giving, Scripture here tells us we need to be generous and we need to do it from the heart and we need to be cheerful. And guess what's going to happen? Here's the cool part of it. The Apostle Paul says you will abound. Verse 8, God's able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Do you know how that works? I don't know how that works. I just know that it works. I know people that have said, I never tithed, I never gave, I got serious about giving, I got serious about tithing, I trusted God, going back to Malachi chapter 3, and my life's been ridiculously blessed ever since. Jesus talked about it in John chapter 10, sandwiched between a couple of the I am statements. He said, I'm the gate. And then he said, I am the good shepherd. But smack dab in the middle, he said, I've come to bring you life and life to the full. And some translations call it the abundant life. And too many preachers have taken that verse and they have abused it. They've tried to get it to mean things that Jesus never meant it to be. Um, Jesus probably doesn't want you to be a millionaire. Jesus probably doesn't want you to live in a mansion and drive a Mercedes and, you know, live this extravagant lifestyle. You know why? Because most of us couldn't handle that. For most of it, that, that would hurt our spiritual life, not enhance it. But God absolutely, through Jesus Christ, wants you to experience the abundant life. And when you give over every area of your life, including the checkbook, including the wallet, When you truly embrace this call to generosity, you will absolutely abound. You will absolutely excel in the grace of giving. Bottom line this morning, here's the bottom line. It's really pretty simple to say. It's much more difficult to live out. We're called to be generous together. Not for your glory. Not for my glory. Not even for the glory of this church but for the glory 
of the kingdom for the praise and glory of God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. And thank you for the chance to be in your word. And sometimes we have passages of scripture that we tackle and we really love it because it talks about your grace, talks about forgiveness. Uh, it's kind of a warm and fuzzy feeling and smiles all around. And then sometimes we have passages of scripture that hit us between the eyes. We feel like our, st our toes are being stepped on. And yet, God, all of Scripture is your word. And so it's my prayer that as we uh, move to a time of invitation, as we move to a time of commitment, that um, we won't let any personal emotion get in the way of the truth of your word. God, it's my prayer that this church will never grow weary, never grow tired of setting our sights on being as generous as you are to us. Thank you for setting the standard with Jesus, your son. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.